It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many brutes are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen that no seat. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, but it's just a gang from the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're beating down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. That's right, in the dark heart of the Great Smoky Mountains, <laughs> you'll find Dr. Bones and the lovely nurse Amy, and you know what? This is the Hour of Doom! And Bloom! That's right, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a nidus of normality in a nonsensical world. Then that's the bird. <laughs> I wonder if they can hear that. I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> bird makes all kinds of crazy noises. That's right. Yes, well, it does look kind of dark outside. I think it's going to be, what, 20-something degrees tonight. Yes, that's right. And if there's still... It is raining right now. So maybe we'll get a tiny bit of snow. That Could would be, be the first snow of the year for us. Well, uh, if it hits here. It, there w- was some snow up on Mount Leconte here. Which I, there could be right now because it's pretty cold up there. Right. Our view uh, of Mount Lacan is pretty unobstructed, so I'd say there is a little bit there. Unobstructed. Is unobstructed. unobstructed. Yes, unobstructed. I'm sorry. It's clear. Uh, <laughs> and the city of Gatlinburg, however, is not clear. There is a huge amount of mist down below us. We're Just up looks like on a the giant mountain. cloud. We're, We're above right. a giant cloud. cloud. That's right. And the because city there of Gatlinburg are a valley. is We're on one side invisible. And Mount Lacan's on the other side and... The city's right in the middle, and the the cloud is just sort of drifting through the valley there. Yep. It's covering it up. Really is a beautiful view, actually. It is beautiful. View, it is really pretty. Oh, by the way, I'm Joe Alden, MD. <laughs> <laughs> also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand post videos and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Nurse Amy. I am an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And together we are the dynamic duo, the medical matrimony, and the prodigious pair. And and, and seeker of washer and dryer today. Seeker of a new washer and dryer. Ours <laughs> is blown out. This one here has been... It lasted... I think wow. the house was built in what, 99? 90, 98. Was it 98 yeah, 98. So, so it's 20, 20 years. At least 20. And it's possible that the builders took their own washer and dryer and put it in here and so we don't actually know how old it is it's an rca folks 
I mean, RCA washers. I don't think are, RCA even exists anymore, do they? I don't know, but I, I, I know that they so. don't make washer and dry, washers and dryers. <laughs> so we have an RCA washer dryer. This thing could be from the 50s for all we know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly looks like it. <laughs> but it worked perfectly until today. For 20 years. And the dryer, the dryer still works fine, right? Yeah. So. And we have it in a closet, so we've got to figure out a stackable configuration. Oh yeah, it is uh, one of those things when you have oh, a little cabinet. Oh, and you know what else I just woods. read? Yes. If you get it, if you do a stackable, they want you to have an opening cut into the closet door at wow. the top and the bottom. So I think we're just going to have to take the closet door off. We're just going to have to remove it for legal um, installation. What? Oh well, if my you think gosh. about it, if some idiot shuts the door, mm-hmm. not that you guys are idiots, but there are a few of them peppered here and there. Somebody turns the dryer on and shuts the door. That's a problem. Hmm. So they want you to have a, a hole cut out in the top part of the door and the bottom part of the door for ventilation. Wow, that's totally crazy. Isn't that crazy? I think we're just going to have to take the door off. I would just, yeah, that's what I would do. Yeah, just remove it. I don't really care, especially since a new one's going to be prettier. Than the old configuration. Okay. If yeah. you guys saw the way we they had put the washing machine in, it's basically when you look in the closet door, there's a, a there's a dryer there. But if you look to the right inside the closet, that's where the washing machine is. I have to lean over the dryer to get to the washing machine to put things in and out. You have to throw your body over the dryer. <laughs> it's to, amazing what you can get, get used to. To huh? get it in and out of the washing machine. Sometimes with your feet sticking up in the, in the air. It's so funny. But it was such a big washer and dryer. Yeah. We just didn't want to move it. It worked right. fine for right. 20 years. Yep. And now... Now we're experiencing appliance agony. We, as and a we result. knew this was coming too. Yeah, we remember know. we always said one to day. Each, yeah. This oh, year is year. Thank goodness this is still working. I hate yeah. to see what we're gonna have what to, to do. do. <laughs> We've got to replace this crazy washing machine stuck underneath the stairs, folks. Amazing. So the angle of the ceiling comes down over the washing machine and ends. So. It's a low height ceiling over the washing machine. It's, <laughs> I don't know how they ever got it in there or whoever thought of that. Anyway. Friends and neighbors. Moving on. <laughs> Have you been injured in an accident with a churlish chipmunk? We, boy, we got a lot of them around here. Well, our yes. attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice (laughs) or appliance advice for anything (laughs) other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists, nor is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, so true. Modern medicine is the bomb in normal times, but boy, look at the news. And you can tell that times are anything but normal. They're strange and getting stranger. And if society one day is up the creek without a paddle, you might just be the highest medical asset left to your family in an emergency. Is that scary or what? Well, it doesn't have to be. Show the world you got more sense than a pocket full of politicians and (laughs) get some training, learn something. And while you're at it, how about some supplies and a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge? And what better place to get it than Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. 
They'll help you deal with medical issues you'll face in any disaster. They'll make your workplace, your school, your church safer. They're they're designed, indeed, by a real-life medical doctor and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. I said that wrong. That's okay. <laughs> I think they got the, the An gist advanced of it. registered nurse practitioner. It is a mouthful. That's right. <laughs> well, the bottom line, compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff. And you're going to agree our kits are the ones you should have in your medical storage. But don't take our word for it. Check out our testimonials page at store.doomandbloom.net and see what folks just like you have to say about our medical kits and service. On top of all that, our kits are approved for your health or flexible savings account. The end of the year is coming around, so just let us know you need paperwork. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, hey, we learn as much from you as you do from us, so share a smidgen of smartness from your cerebrum for us <laughs> and connect with the geezer and the goddess. It's easy, so easy. So easy. And here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. Contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. You can also find contact forms on doomandbloom.net and a contact form on store.doomandbloom.net. That's exactly Check out our Facebook page, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. You can follow us uh, at our regular Facebook page, Doom and Bloom, and on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, Dr. Bones Nurse Amy. That's right. Also, we are announcing that our book is just about ready to oh, be published. Oh, they got a proof. A That's, proof is on the way. Right. So we're going to look at the proof, and if it doesn't look too crazy, we will be <laughs> publishing Alton's like Antibiotics it. and Infectious Disease. Thanks to everybody who's pre-ordered it at doom, uh, store.doomandbloom.net. But we are going to be putting up <clears throat> It will our be on Amazon after, on Amazon. after we look at the proof. Make sure everything looks great. That's right. Then we'll approve it, and it'll be up on Amazon. And then I will be ordering the books for the folks who pre-ordered. So however long it takes um, the printer to get it to us, right? So if you pre-order, hopefully won't be more than a week or two. That's right. You will be able to get it from Amazon, but if you want it personally autographed, just get it from our website at store.doomandbloom.net. Good stuff. That is Yay. absolutely right. I just want to talk a little bit about the book very quickly. It's about 300 pages. only concentrates on antibiotics that are available to the average person without a prescription. Wait, 322 pages. Is it really? I know officially. All right. Well, that yes. includes the glossary and the index and all that yeah. other stuff. Okay. And it gives you some good basics. goes into much more detail on the topic of infectious disease and drug, the drugs to treat them than even our third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook. I will say that... The book concentrates on the infections you can treat with the available drugs that you can put in your medical storage right now. So don't expect a big dissertation on viruses like Ebola because antibiotics don't do anything to treat that. That's right. You can learn about Ebola if you'd like to in our New York Times bestseller in health, the Ebola Survival Handbook. That is still on Amazon as well. Uh, As our our book talks in detail about fish and bird antibiotics you can accumulate in your medical storage, I can confidently say that our book is pretty unique. You're not going to be finding experts talking about this stuff. No. Which uh, I'll admit is controversial in conventional medical circles. And while it isn't the cheapest book you'll find, search Amazon for infectious disease books, you'll find a lot less expensive than just about any other print book on antibiotics and infectious disease. Oh, absolutely. And remember, the information in our book, Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, is meant for situations where there isn't a functioning modern medical system. If there is, get to a certified medical professional ASAP. 
Absolutely. Well, we're at the tail end of our Smoky Mountain fall so season. Sad. And we've uh, seen some pretty awesome stuff uh, like we do every fall. The colors were bright this year, and thank goodness goodness, there were no fires. Oh, please. I know. And Ugh. we've certainly seen our share of wildlife this season, everything from chipmunks to black bears to elk. And if you like turkeys, well, i got to tell oh, you, yes. East Tennessee is the place for you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> They're just everywhere. And the funny thing is they kind of like to hang out around roads where cars are driving by. I don't understand why they go within inches and actually cross roads frequently right. when there's all that space in the park where there are no people whatsoever. Well, there's a bear living in the tree right at the entrance to the city. Oh. Please, yes. And it has caused all sorts Huge of traffic, traffic jams, jams. As everybody's craning their neck to see the bear, or the bear could be on one of the uh, sort of hills that are mm-hmm. lining the I think it's just highway. hanging out in trees mostly. Yep. It's, just sort of lazily laying there. I know. I just, it's amazing how these things don't break the trees. And the tree doesn't. The, Oh, yeah. Baby doesn't come. Sometimes and down they, will come baby, well, cradle and all. Sometimes they look like they're in trees that shouldn't be <laughs> able to hold oh, their weight because they're I, hefty. Yeah, hefty, I, hefty, hefty, hefty bears. You're right. I, I don't know how they do it, but they do. <clears throat> and, and every single night, one bear comes to visit, a big one, and also three juniors. That's right. So they're, they were making the circuit here. They're not here. together, but they're. I have them on video several times. There you go. Wow, it, it's pretty amazing. They well, try to open the car door. Thankfully, I've been pretty good about keeping it locked this time. Well, thank goodness that we've had no ill encounters. However, however cute that these critters might be, you're always at risk to get injured from your encounter with them. So let's talk a little bit about bite wounds. Oh, I just wanted to ask you one thing. Yesterday when we were putting together our little garden in front of the house, uh-huh. uh, remember I dragged some wood from a tree that had been cut down across the street? Yes. Well, I went back when you weren't outside, and I got another piece of wood. And there was a pile of leaves under there. Uh And then there was that stack of wood, Uh the chopped-up wood or or sawed wood. I went to grab a piece, and it was kind of just on top of the dried leaves. Could there have been a snake under there? Or is this not the time where snakes are, like, out and active? Well, snakes are usually not active in in cold weather so most snake what was bites it, like 50 degrees yesterday right, mostly yep yeah, yeah most snake bites occur in the summer and we're i think beyond when their peak activity is that could I was, mean couldn't mean they couldn't be there yeah but i was reaching for that wood and i thought for one second well it's kind of just sitting on top of a big pile of leaves you know like almost like a nest mm. and i thought well wow if i was a snake i'd probably hide under there I hope I don't get bit, especially <laughs> since you were in the house. Well, thank goodness you had your uh, gloves on, your work gloves well, on. Well, you know, you're so doing that gardening. Well, that's exactly right. So that's something. I, uh, I guess it could have like jumped and bit you on the upper arm or oh no, elbow or something. But you know, with any luck, that you should be okay. So bottom line is, be careful and try to prevent bite wounds by having yes. your your hand and uh, protection and, and certainly not, foot protection and not reaching into a a pile just of, above a pile. It wasn't yeah. into. I didn't reach right. into it, but I was just. It was sitting on top of the pile of leaves. Leaves. That's right. So. Well, you know, most people have at some time in their life run afoul of uh, an ornery critter or a, a dog or a cat, usually. And there are million of a, millions of animal bites every year. I mean, they affect uh, in adults usually the hands. It's 
uh, are the most likely places that you're going to get them. And little kids, it's the neck, the face, and the head, though. And that those can be serious and certainly cause a lot of scarring. Wild animals, indeed, will bite when they're threatened, when they're sick, when they're protecting mm-hmm. their t- territory, when they're protecting their offspring especially. Uh, but most, thank goodness, avoid humans if at all possible. Now they're... Except turkeys. Except turkeys, who seem to be <laughs> all over the place. like to hang out yeah, where the houses are. Yeah, right. Uh, <coughs> now, there are cats, dogs, however, small rodents, other domestic pets. They're not quite so shy, and so they're the culprits most of the time when you're talking about bite wounds. Right. Now, most bites are caused, uh, caused by smaller animals are puncture wounds, and these puncture wounds are very likely to become infected unless you treat them and you wash them out really well and you maybe take some of the oral antibiotics that we talk about in our book. Mm -hmm. Uh, Puncture bites uh, may be related to a type of infection called an anaerobic infection. That's uh, an infection with bacteria that do not require a lot of oxygen to survive. Uh, And when you have a deep bite through a small wound. Like a little pocket. Right. The, it's like an injection almost, and the antibiotic is injected all the way into soft tissue. Not the tissue. antibiotic. I mean, the bacteria yes. <laughs> is injected all the way into soft tissue. Thank God she's here. Huh? I'd be telling <laughs> you, you all, say all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. things. <laughs> <laughs> when that antibiotic gets punched into your arm. So those what, ba- honey? <laughs> that bacteria is injected into your soft tissue, and it doesn't get a lot of uh, oxygen. As a result, right. well, then you can get some pretty bad infections, including the bacteria that causes tetanus, and the bacteria that causes botulism. Those are just some examples. Which is another reason why you don't close puncture wounds. There you go. You don't want to make it even more hospitable to the nasty bacteria that could be in there. That's right. Now, any animal bite, I guess, can lead to infection if you ignore it, but cat bites inject bacteria into deeper tissues that seem to become contaminated more often. And dog bites are more common than cat bites, but they seem to become infected actually less often. And But despite That's this... That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder why. Well, I think it's because <clears throat> uh, when you have a, a bite from a dog, mm-hmm. it's actually a little more of an open wound, and I think that you, it's easier to wash. Gotcha. I mean, I, Probably I don't know... Probably because their teeth are bigger. Right. Maybe they make bigger holes. Yes, yes. They... And, but you think about a cat has really skinny teeth, almost like an, an injection of almost a needle. Like a fang, you know, yeah, like a or, needle, right? Exactly. So this is <clears throat> part of the problem and why these bites become contaminated more often if you get them from a cat. So the dog bites, of course, I, you have never seen probably anybody who's gotten bitten by a dog who hasn't gone to wash their hands of or course. wash their bite, wash, their wound area. Right, wash off the bite immediately. Right. Exactly. Lots and lots of soap and water. There you go. So, and one thing that you have to understand about dog bites, although they become infected less often, they cause the jaws of a dog are really powerful and they can inflict crush injuries to soft tissues. And I'm sure that some of you out there can attest to the crushing nature of of dog wounds. Yes, some of them have really strong jaws. Now, there was a study done way back in 1994 uh, that uh, really looked at dog bites, and they Mm -hmm. found that male dogs are 6.2 times more likely to bite you than female dogs. So... If you're looking for a dog, it's you might consider getting yeah, <laughs> getting uh, Fifi instead of Fido. Um, oh, that's funny. <laughs> <there you go. laughs> that 
if a dog has not <clears throat> has not been neutered, they're about two point six times more likely to to bite you than a dog that has. Um, there, if the dog is chained or otherwise restrained, in other words, is not free and and you could be given some some wives some, more likely some interesting ideas of, about their aggressive husbands. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right. Don't chain us or otherwise honey, no, restrain no. us. Honey, have you been neutered recently? Yeah. Oh, is that? <laughs> Is right. that is that how it is? Well, if it makes them a little <laughs> less aggressive, you know. Well, don't chain me up because Just that would kidding. make me two point eight would, times more likely to be aggressive. I would never chain you up. That's what today. happens with dogs. Okay, <laughs> no, today. All right. Well, tomorrow's another day, right? Um, I'm not promising anything, honey. Dog bites are seen more commonly in children that are 14 years and younger uh, than any other age group, <clears throat> and boys are much more likely to be the victims, I guess, because they mess with. Their critters more, mm-hmm. uh, if if that's possible. I don't know that. I don't know if you can say that anymore. But that was 1994. Besides the trauma associated, life with has the, changed. Life has changed. Besides the trauma that's associated with the actual bite, various mm-hmm. animals carry diseases and that can be transmitted to human. Matter of fact, there are a bunch of diseases, half of which you probably can't even pronounce. Um, rabies, of course, is the most common one. That's a virus <laughs> that's spread by a a bunch of critters by uh, dogs, but uh, in wildlife, uh, by raccoons, skunks, bats, possums. Uh, The plague actually can be uh, spread by bites. What? Oh, okay, well, we know. Flea bites. Yes, okay, I was going to say. Not animal bites. (laughs) Although although if a rat is suffering from the plague and bites you, there's a possibility that it can probably pass that on. Uh, Now, that is... The truth is not the flea or the rat or whatever biting you that's causing the plague. It's in a bacteria that actually is inside the flea. And what the bacteria does to the flea is it causes it to its stomach to get all blocked. And when it gets blocked, the flea becomes sort of starved. And then, then more actively bites, seeks hosts things like that sometimes wow. vomits so this bacteria actually in induces hunger in fleas, fleas to make them bite more bite so more. that they will get, be transmitted to more hosts that's crazy I know, it's a nightmare isn't it I mean, wow it's really horrible. Uh, tuberculosis is a bacterial <clears throat> disease that you might see in some uh deer elk uh, bison sometimes uh other things that you've never heard of probably are it's hantavirus. That's a viral disease. It's caused by mice, bites from mice. Mm-hmm. Brucella associated with, uh, also with deer and bison, other animals. And there's um, raccoon roundworm. That's a parasitic disease associated with raccoons. And histoplasma is a fungal disease, actually. That's associated with bat excrement. Tularemia is one that's associated with rabbits. Now, in addition, it's, it's possible to develop tetanus from any animal bite. Tetanus is a potentially fatal infection of the muscles and nervous system. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's caused by a bacteria called Clostridia tetani, that one of those anaerobic bacteria, the bacteria that don't need oxygen, that we talked about just a short time ago. Now, we should take a moment to discuss rabies. Because rabies is, <clears throat> if it's untreated, it is uniformly lethal. Now, although the classic example is the rabid dog, cat bites, interestingly enough, among pets, are the most common cause of this viral infection. The wildlife, however, accounts for the grand majority of cases in the United States, not tame pets. Uh, raccoon, uh, I mentioned raccoon, possums, uh, skunks, mm-hmm. uh, and bats. 
Coyotes also were common vectors. Uh, about 1%, by the way, of all bats seem to carry the virus. And they're the most common cause of rabies from wildlife bites in the United States. It's uh, est estimated that there are 40,000 people in the United States after receive rabies shots uh, as a result of a bite on a, on pretty much every year. Now, it should be noted that in the U.S. there's never been a rabies case transmitted to humans by certain animals. Uh, they're at least naturally occurring incidences. Now, you can induce them in a laboratory, but you, you can't ever get uh, naturally occurring rabies in birds and reptiles or amphibians. So taking from that, I assume the dinosaurs didn't have rabies either. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for useless trivia? I don't know. <laughs> well, very maybe it's because they got yeah. their, their vaccinations. There you go. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, it's very <clears throat> rare in rabbits uh, and other rodents like squirrels, mice, and moles, and, and even rats. Uh, the, the risk factor is very small in these animals. Uh, the last case in domestic cattle was like in the 80s. And horses, I think there was a case from 2002. But those are very, very, very rare also. So the high-risk spe species are, you know, raccoons, skunks, bats. Uh, believe it or not, groundhogs actually have or consider high-risk species for giving you rabies. So possums also are a, a, a possibility. Now, a person with rabies is usually symptom-free for a time, and this varies in each case, about 30 days or so. But after an incubation period, the patient starts getting fever, headache, loss of appetite, and fatigue. The sight of the wound becomes itchy and numb, and a few days after the initial symptoms, uh, uh, evidence of nerve damage appears in the form of irritability and disorientation, hallucination, seizures, eventually paralysis. And so the victim may go into a coma, may suffer cardiac or respiratory arrest. Once you've got the disease going and hadn't been treated, well, you're pretty much done. Now, the incubation period for animals like dogs, uh, the incubation period is about seven days, could be as much as 120 days. That's something that you definitely might see uh, you wind up having the animal, especially if it's a dog, for example. You'll see a dog become shy, become secluded, snappy and irritable, very agitated, might roam around, uh, may bite anything, uh, drools. And uh, after a period of time, the, you get into what they call a paralytic phase of rabies. And what happens is, is some of the muscles of the dog actually become paralyzed and there's a great deal of drooling and when that that drool actually shows some foam well you're talking about a dog that has some rabies so what do you do if you've been bitten by an animal basically there are several important actions you got to take and you got to act pretty fast you have to control any bleeding of course with direct pressure using gloves and a bandage or some other barrier. You want to clean the wound thoroughly with soap and water. You got to flush the wound aggressively with one of those 60 or 100 cc irrigation syringes that you have in so many of I your kits. I think that's especially important in these type of puncture wounds. An open wound that's got more of a surface area, it's going to be easier for you to kind of scrub it and get out everything. Right. But those narrow, deep wounds, that irrigation syringe can actually direct the pressure into that wound and help flush out as much bacteria as possible. You're never going to be able to get it 100% clean. We can, even if you scrub your hands with betadine and 
certain antiseptics before surgery, your hands are still not sterile enough to touch a wound. You still have to put gloves on. So we can never get 100% of everything off or out of our skin. Exactly. You, but you want to get Sadly, just get as much as you can. Right. Remove <laughs> si- whatever embedded debris there may be and certainly any germ-containing saliva from uh, an animal bite. Right. Uh, you want to use an antiseptic to decrease the chance of infection. That's important. Uh, betadine, which is povidone iodine solution, is very good. Uh, benzalkonium chloride, that's BZK. Those are excellent choices as well. Now, if you're off the grid, don't close the wound if right. you can avoid it. Do not close the wound. Right. Don't close the wound. And that's when you're off the wound, grid. Wound, don't close. Right. There are circumstances <laughs> in modern you know, medical systems where you would do that, but off-grid, I would not, especially if you're not going to have a chance to get that person quickly to a modern medical facility. Right. So any animal bite, I think, should be considered a dirty wound, and closing the wound may lock in dangerous bacteria. So... Just keep an eye out. Now, ex- and keep it washed frequently. There's going to be swelling probably mm-hmm. in the area. So, therefore, if there are any rings or bracelets uh, n- near a bite wound to the hand, you want to take those off because they might be very difficult to remove afterwards. Right. You want to use ice packs on the wound to decrease swelling, uh, bruising, pain, things like that. Mm-hmm. You want to, as you said, Amy, really clean that bite wound frequently yeah and keep it covered with a sterile dressing if you have it and bandages are sterile until you open them up band-aids exactly so as long as they're in a single package with just one or two they should be sterile it'll say it on the package but you don't want to add anything extra to this this is already skin that may be fighting off some bacteria left in there you don't want to add more you don't want to make it worse so exactly keep it covered with sterile gauze if you can and you might consider and clean it and clean it and clean it. <laughs> right, and maybe put some antibiotic ointment. Might not be a bad idea. Great to put, idea. No, I on, totally agree with that. On the wound and then and then cover. I think it would not be a bad idea as well. Now you have to look for signs of wound infection. We've discussed wound infection many times here. These uh, symptoms and signs you'll find include redness mm-hmm. of the area, swelling, oozing. Now sometimes you might want to mark the. Uh, boundaries of the redness with let's say a magic marker and see if the redness is spreading if it spreads oftentimes it spreads towards the torso uh, as it gets better the red area sort of recedes in in total quantity of skin that's affected Uh, lots of times in an infected wound the area might feel unusually warm to the touch that's something that's very important now I think that warm, moist compresses to the area will help an infected wound drain whatever fluid or or pus may occur, Mm -hmm. but uh, that's something that you might consider. Antibiotics, excellent precaution, especially if you're off-grid and especially after, let's say, a cat bite or a bite of any animal that may uh, appear problematic because, let's face it, all all the bites are problematic in in this situation. Uh, They use amoxicillin with clavulanic acid, 500 milligrams, (laughs) every eight hours per week. It's a good first-line therapy. Uh, unfortunately, that doesn't come as an animal antibiotic, except for dogs. And they have something called Clavamox, but because a- dogs in general are very small, their doses are way t- are not, a, not the same as you would see for fish or bird antibiotics. Now, that's strange because it may sound strange as saying, well, my fish is much smaller than my dog. They don't make special fish antibiotics. They 
they That's in general the don't. <laughs> that that is indeed the point. But they do do that for or special dosing for dogs and some other animals. Much more money in people giving their dogs antibiotics than mm-hmm. people giving their guppies antibiotics. And it's much it's... more simple for these <laughs> to get these antibiotics simply by getting human antibiotics and just shipping a batch of those to pet antibiotic distributors. They rebottle them. Yes. And uh, put Slap a, a, a disclaimer yes. right on them. And there you go. You won't have amoxicillin with clavulanic acid. You will have amoxicillin in and of itself probably not the best choice but you can have also clindamycin the veterinary equivalent for that is fish sin c-i-n 300 milligrams orally about every six hours uh, some people use metronidazole fish zole um, azithromycin is z-pack is also something you might find in, uh, in a bird antibiotic called bird zithro some people consider cipro uh, which is called fish flocks 500 milligrams every 12 hours, that would be a good dose for that particular antibiotic. Remember that uh, it can cause issues with muscles and tendons and nerves, so I would use that not as a first line, certainly, in in this circumstance. I'd maybe consider fish sin first. Mm -hmm. Um, Children who suffer animal bites can become very traumatized, by the way, emotionally by the experience. They actually develop a type of almost like a PTSD from it. And they will benefit from Well, imagine counseling. you're just this little kid and this thing leaps at you. You're not much bigger than, you know, depending on the size of the dog. But it could be around the same size as you. And now you've got pain and you're possibly bleeding and it's horrifying. Terribly traumatized. And there might have been some growling going on and it's, mm-hmm. it is a very terrible situation. Yeah. Now, and I don't believe, even adults can have that problem. Right. Well, youngsters and some adults are indeed very fascinated by animals, of course, but you always have to inform your kids or any youngsters that you're in charge of about the risks of animal bites, whether they are in domestic settings or in wildlife settings. And tell people, tell those kids to avoid stray dogs, cats, wild animals. Never leave a small child unattended around animals. I mean, I've heard these nightmare stories about you oh, know, wait, wait, big dogs and babies oh, and stuff. I know. Terrible, terrible stuff. So you have to have an able-bodied person to intervene in case an animal does become uh, violent. It's, it's important to remember that humans are animals too, by the way. In rare cases, you might see bites from a human. And 10 to 15%, a pretty high percentage of human bites actually become infected due to the fact that there are over 100 million bacteria per milliliter in human saliva. Who so, was that um, boxer, that fighter that bit off Evander, the ear? Was, oh, that was, was uh, Mike Tyson. Tyson, bit, yes. Bit off uh, Evander Holyfield's part of his ear. Oh. And Evander Holyfield, if he was smart, got some antibiotics yes. afterwards. I'm and sure hopefully they... a tetanus shot right? in, <laughs> in his case if he hadn't been vaccinated recently. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Well, we had a very tragic event in Thousand Oaks, California. I just have yesterday. to tell folks, I cried when they moved the body of the sheriff that died, or the sergeant. I think he was a sergeant. Um, they actually drove his body with a motorcycle, police motorcycle, 
escort uh-huh. through the town. Yes. And they went through some side streets. They had to go through streets first in a neighborhood, and then they went on the highway. There were people lined along the streets over the bridge. that They had to go under a bridge. Sometimes five and six people deep. They had, I saw one fire truck, and there were like six or seven firefighters standing on top of the fire truck. I couldn't see exactly what they were doing, but, I mean, it was just so, so sad. This whole town has been affected, the city, and such support for the the folks that went in and hopefully saved the other young adults that were being shot at. Now, if you, I think everybody's heard about the story, I mean, but if you've been living in Cambodia for the last two or three years, a gunman opened fire on a crowd at a bar in Thousand Oaks, California, actually considered one of the safest cities in California. It was actually ranked the third safest last year. Unbelievable. And the shooter, who was named Ian David Long, killed 12 people and himself and and also... Which they a, don't even know why. Right. And he was a 28-year-old former U.S. Marine who may have been suffering maybe from PTSD. They think that that might have been the cause. Um, but I just want to say this very quickly, and I, it's it's very obvious to everyone out there, just because you have this doesn't mean you're going to turn violent. It's, yes, it's of a course traumatic not. situation. It does affect people pretty pretty severely, and they need to seek help from family, friends, and professionals all together. But just because you have that doesn't mean you're going to do something bad. I just don't want people to get labels. That's because right. one person turned, and it, I know it hasn't just been one, there have been others that have turned violent, but that doesn't mean every single person with it is going to turn violent. There's help out there. Hopefully they can get support. They can he- get some healing and start feeling you know, more balanced inside because they just don't feel right. Nor does it mean that just because he was former military that, that he exactly. is more more dangerous. He is more he is more experienced, more of course, trained, maybe with more trained in the use of firearms. Uh, in this particular case, he had been thinking about this for a period of time, I think, because he apparently threw smoke bombs to con- create yeah, confusion. Yeah, there was some sort of planning. We don't he, know how long. So he fired into a crowd of more than a hundred people. Well, they're going to have to figure out how he got these smoke bombs. When did he accumulate? His ammo. When did he purchase his gun? I mean, there's so much investigation. But they that's do going to have to go into this. That's true. But they do think it was acquired legally, according to the local the sheriff's gun. office, right? Yeah. Uh, the department, uh, police department in the area, had had several interactions with him. Apparently, including a call to his mother's home. He lived there um, in the, April. In April, this right? Year. There was a, a complaint of somebody causing a disturbance, and they found that he had been kicking in the drywall of the of the house so pretty so he was screaming things. and kicking and a little uncontrollable and i believe they called in some evaluation some mental health evaluation right. they evaluated him to and they see found if him they to needed be... to hospitalize him and the people who evaluated him whoever they were decided at that moment that he didn't need help now you can't blame these people they can only judge what someone is doing at that moment. It's like a suicide evaluation. Right. If the person at that moment really, really doesn't want to kill themselves, the person who's doing the evaluation is going to say, no, we don't need to take them in. They've, they, 
they're claiming they don't feel like they want to kill themselves. That doesn't mean that 10 minutes later that person doesn't change their mind. And it's like this, this guy, you know, a few months later, something snapped in him. We don't know why or how or, or what happened, but you can't blame. I know I feel like people are blaming the folks in April. They can only judge with what was going on. And, and the guy might not have even had a thought of doing anything like what he just did at that time. And so what they evaluated was his behavior and what he was saying and I'm sure they interviewed the mother, too, to find out other behaviors. Apparently, she's a nice, normal lady. And, you know, at that moment, he didn't look like he was going to harm himself or others at that moment. According to uh, the sheriff's office, he had gone. He had been a patron of the Borderline Bar yes, and Grill. Yes, he had gone there. Country I music heard place, that. Yeah. And uh, he seemed so to concentrate sad. his fire on the front of the venue where there were several employees so maybe he had gotten into some altercation with the the security for the place or for one of the with one of the, the other problem employees. is if he actually killed the person that he had the big problem with the story's never going to come out because now both of them are, are gone gone yeah. so the person who might have said you know what yeah last week he came in he was acting kind of crazy i had to you know ask him to leave it didn't seem like such a big deal he left and then this happened, but you'll never, we're never going to know the story. If, if the person that he was directing this at is no longer alive, because you know they're interviewing everyone who was there. Right. I'm sure everyone is giving their, their, their story, stary, but of course. story of, of maybe if they knew him before, if they saw him before, if they knew of any incident before, to try and figure out why this happened. Because by knowing why something happened it's possible in future situations you can kind of help this not happen again but if you never know like the las vegas shooting we will never know why that guy did what he did I'm amazing that you terrible. mentioned that, that some of the people that were in the bar were actually were oh, I at know. the festival can music festival in las vegas of all that the, left 58 people dead the, all the places that he could have shot up actually had had people who had experienced that shooting in Vegas, which is not down the street, folks. You know, it's in another state. We're in this bar during this shooting. What are the chances you're going to experience two mass murders? Shooting, right. I shouldn't say shootings. I guess that kind of blames the gun. And I don't blame guns. I blame people. Two mass murderers. It, that you witnessed right that you got had that got yourself in contact awful. with it is absolutely terrible you, and they, i would just want to stay home like i swear i would be like having my food delivered and my groceries delivered and the laundry picked up you know for the dry cleaning i, I like i don't know that i would leave my house for a while talk about ptsd i'll say well that is i think uh i will say this is a it seems like a pretty supportive community like i said the folks who came out yes really nice place i saw a lot of these kids hugging each other they said i heard from some witnesses there were people supporting each other and helping each other had no idea who they were they just helped each other and i think we're going to hear more stories about what happened inside after the shooting started and during the shooting 
of people, strangers helping strangers. Yes, as a matter of fact, there were Just a number of people that humans helping tried to get humans. Pe help people hide. Some people broke windows, and, and there were about 18 people actually injured, and most of them were injured not by gunfire, but by actually Getting going through, through broken, broken glass. Uh, you know what? I'd rather have a cut leg or arm or face than, than be dead. So you know, I'm sure all those people who got hurt doing that had no problem getting cut up so they could escape the possibility of being shot to death. What a horrifying... It makes me choked up just thinking about it right now. It is pretty terrible. These kids are having fun. They're having harmless... They're not hurting anybody. They're learning how to dance. They gave dance lessons right. twice that evening. Line but they're dancing. having a, a few beers and dancing. That's what all kids should do. All young adults should be having fun together in a safe place. They're not out, you know, having ruckus by smashing mailboxes or breaking into houses or right. doing drugs behind some abandoned house. They're having a couple of beers and dancing. This should be a safe place for them. I'm so horrified well, it by is this. True. It should be clear to everyone Ugh. that there truly is no place safe from deranged people, Ugh. disgruntled people, even politically motivated people. Honestly, the, the number of these kinds of events, shooting events, vehicular attacks that we've seen in the last few years indicate that these events have become part of the new normal. Should we just get used to them? Uh-uh. No. We should never be used to them. Always fight back. That's absolutely right. Well, you might think that the successes, if I put this that word in, in parenthesis or in quotes, uh, achieved by active shooters occur at random, but they don't. I really believe that all the shootings that are reported upon help these potential shooters develop a strategy that Ugh. they refine over time to a clearly deadly effect. The, the recent shooting in California mirrored the nightclub shooting in Orlando in 2016. Except this one of, used smoke bombs. Right, except that this guy had... Supposedly. Was, right, was former military, used smoke bombs to create confusion. And he sure and and the other difference is that the Orlando event was about three, lasted about three hours, but in this one the police arrived in six minutes. If it hadn't been for the rapid arrival and, and immediate action, and, and the guy who gave and his sacrifice, life, the guy who gave his life, right, the hero, sacrificed by law enforcement, uh, it would have been much much worse. Or I at believe least 100 that people those the, the people who survived that shooting absolutely owe their lives to. Not only that guy who died, but the, the who came in with at least another person. It distracted the shooter. And then I guess the shooter decided, well, they're here, so I better just take myself out. I mean, unfortunately, he shot the police officer and killed him before he killed himself. That always is awful. You always want this guy to kill the, whoever the shooter is. Eliminate yourself as soon as possible. So we can get in and get the wounded out and right. help people and right. stop this carnage. Well, the fact that the, the police officer and his partner, uh, the police officer, by the way, was named uh, Ron Helis, who's a sorry, police sergeant, uh, the fact that they went in immediately. Charged right in. Charged right in within six minutes of the event occurring saved innumerable lives. And it's The last just words amazing. to his wife was, I love you, but I have to go do this. I'm going to go cry now. Well, you go cry. <laughs> so I wanna, awful. I want to talk, however. Okay, go ahead. I want to talk about what happens. What do you do in future events? What can we do to thwart people that have 
lethal intentions. I mean, I think that there are ways that might decrease the number of shooting incidents and the deaths that are caused by them. I know, but we can't stop deranged people from doing deranged things. That's the problem. People snap, and they do crazy stuff, and they do it sometimes in an instant. Perhaps not all of these may have worked in California, but here's some suggestions. You should improve security in areas of risk, and I, I define an area of risk as just about anywhere where a crowd of people gather. Now, they actually had a bouncer. They had a security guy but, outside. He shot him. He was the first one he shot, I think. Well, maybe they actually, what, what they can do is they have various security people posted in different places. Or even patrons may take it upon themselves to be extra vigilant. And we talk about situational awareness so instead of in just have, bringing a driver with you you have to bring a bodyguard well if you They're have a driver is this if, for if kids you have a designated driver that person is clear enough that they're going to be able to keep an eye out and see what's going on and so you have to instill a, a culture of situational awareness in our society mm. uh, for those who don't know out there situational awareness is just a state of calm relaxed observation of any factors in your environment that might indicate a threat and we call these factors anomalies. And if you can learn to recognize them, you can identify suspicious individuals and maybe save lives, you know, if we keep vigilant. And it could be just as something as simple as just making note of where the nearest exit is. In case something you hear what sounds like gunfire, assume it's gunfire, not a flat tire or a tire blowout. And just go, go, go. And if you, or firecrackers. Right, things or like that. fireworks. Right, it's not that. There's lots of things that your brain will rationalize that that can't be a gun. I will right. I will say that recently we heard our neighbor shoot a gun right, up here in Gatlinburg. Shot a gun at a black And I immediately looked at you and said that was a gun. Yep, you were right. I knew immediately. And, right, the it, second I heard, exactly. it was like two or three pops, I said, that's a gun, and it's close. Now, I've got of course, to say, I ran straight out of the house <laughs> to find out what it was. I'm not sure that was the safest thing, but we, you and I always run towards the danger right. to see if we can help somebody or if someone's been hurt. Well, It's just our nature. Everybody's a little different. That's what we do. If we can help, you know, yes. then when we will. Uh, there's also that natural paralysis that occurs in unexpected events as a result of what we call normalcy bias. Normalcy bias is a tendency to discount risks that occur right. because most days proceed in a normal you fashion and you out, assume that right. today will be the same. You figure out what that noise was. I think that the Department of Homeland Security needs to be a little more aggressive about teaching strategies to people and at least maybe to those people that are in charge of venues in which there are crowds. Mm-hmm. And they have a, a triad that they call run, hide, and fight. And that's a Simple decision-making process, pretty intuitive, can be rapidly implemented. It works in a lot of places. And if we can teach little kids this, Mm -hmm. you know, it might be more easily ingrained at an earlier age. So, you know, run away if you can, hide if you can't run away, fight if you can't hide. Right. You know, if you can't run and hide or hide. Young people such as victims in California, I mean, they could have been taught in high school or in, in middle school simple first aid strategies to stop bleeding which is the most likely cause of death of course in these scenarios mm-hmm. if rapid action by bystanders thought to decrease the numbers of deaths from hemorrhage that's been proven in military settings so maybe add reduce hemorrhage to reading writing and arithmetic so Absolutely. you have four r's instead of three and you might save some lives now of course 
There should be first aid kits for bleeding in a lot of these public venues. I'm sure a lot of them have them, but they should be able to be accessed by people at the scene. And not just, just a like little a, cheap kit with like five band-aids and right. it's no, not going to help somebody hammer. Right, with a tourniquet. And just, I mean, like your awesome kits, if you ever want to see Amy's kits, the, I think there's a category you have called bleeding they, yes, items. Even if they just have a tourniquet and some, some gauze and a couple pairs of gloves and a pressure dressing and maybe a hemostatic Kydosam, Celox, or Quick Clot. Right. I have to say that it's not a bad idea these days to put a tourniquet in your high school student's backpack. That's I mean, right. That's the, that's the way it is these days. So uh, just a suggestion. We may have to, this is controversial, but you might have to identify persons of interest through social media posts and police records. I mean, there are a lot of active shooters are vocal about their intentions on social media. And, and I understand. And sometimes weird websites, too. Right, right, exactly. And in which they either act suspiciously or they talk about things, uh, talk about violence, things like that. And, and I understand you should be concerned about Big Brother monitoring public conversations on Facebook and other sites, but you have to answer this question. How many deaths are acceptable in your community due to a lack of diligence? One enough? 20? The hundreds? Is that acceptable? A thousand? Is that acceptable? Uh, Benjamin Franklin once said that those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Is this still true? I'm not sure it's still true. I mean, we always have to be on the lookout for signs of trouble. I mean, even if this drives some potential gunman underground, I might identify others in time to abort their mission. And as such, each municipality has to set some mechanism, some trigger for the authorities to identify and evaluate suspicious characters. I mean, I think it's something we have to do. We've just got to stop being soft targets. Forsake the notion that shootings are just part and parcel of the new normal. They are not. We have to begin the process by which we change our society's attitude and level of vigilance. There are more active shooter events on the horizon. A prepared nation won't be invulnerable to attacks, but its citizens might have a better chance to survive them. That's all the time we have for today. I am so glad that you joined us. The Survival Medicine Hour will be back next week. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. To contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.